Hi, I'm Cheryl, and I'm part of the staff here at Menlo Church, and it is good to be with you, whether you're with us online or you're right there with us in one of our campuses. I'm so glad to be with you. Let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we just pause. We pause to acknowledge your presence, that you are a God who is here. You are a God who is with us. You are a God who sees us. You're a God who's for us. And we're so thankful for that. I just invite you now, would you take the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, and would they be pleasing to you? Would you take your word through your scripture and bring it to life to us and speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The late author and English professor, David Foster Wallace, he gave a commencement speech years ago. And he talked about what we look to, to measure our value, to know that we matter. He talked about what we look to for our identity. Now, he wasn't talking in a religious context, and David Foster Wallace himself was, was, would probably not identify with any particular religion. He was on a journey. He grew up in a family. His father was an atheist. His mother was non-religious. They forbid him from going to any kind of church as a kid. But in this commencement speech, he speaks straight to the soul. And here's a few of the things that he said. Of course, he was talking to graduates, and he said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. He says, an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, you will never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. <laughs> right. He says, worship power and you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud always on the verge of being found out. We actually have a name for that now. We call it imposter syndrome. And a lot of us suffer from that. 
He goes on, he says, on one level, we all know this stuff already, which we do. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, parables, the skeleton of every great story. You see, the truth is in what David Foster Wallace was communicating to these graduates was that we all worship, that we all put something at the center to tell us who we are, to give us an identity, and our identity matters, right? The past few weeks, we've been talking about our identity as a church. What kind of church are we? And we've said, we're a Jesus church. We put Jesus at the center. We look to Jesus to define our worth and our value and who we are and our identity. We look to Jesus to lead the way. But let me say this. When we say that we are a Jesus church, that doesn't mean that everybody here is all in with Jesus. One of the things I love about Jesus is that any time you would see him having a meal with someone or a group of people, any time you saw Jesus at a party, he was with all types of people. Everyone was welcome, right? He was with the piously religious and he was with the skeptic and the seeker. He was with the one who was questioning and wondering. He was the one with the ones who felt like they didn't even deserve to be in the presence of a rabbi, to be in the presence of God. And he was with those who thought they knew it all about God. Jesus welcomed everyone at his table, the wealthy and the poor, the cynics, And that's who we are as a church as well. Everyone's here. Everyone's welcomed. Some of you are doubting and you're questioning. Let me just say this. I'm a pastor and I've been doing this for 30 some years. And I question and I doubt. So I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're with us. Some of you are not yet convinced that Jesus is God or worthy of worship. Maybe you're here because you're here for your spouse or you're here for a friend. I'm glad you're here. Some of you have walked away from Jesus, or maybe you haven't walked away from Jesus, but you walked away from the church, and now you're back, and you're kind of dipping your toe back in this church, and you're checking things out. I'm glad you're here. And then there are so many of you, and I've had breakfast with you and I've had coffees with you, who have been so faithful. You have followed Jesus. You have put one foot in front of the other. You've been a part of this Jesus church, Menlo church, for years, 30 years, 40 years. You've walked through suffering and loss You've walked through grief and you've walked through celebrations and raising families or getting married or all those things. And I'm glad you're here. You see, we are a Jesus church seeking to find Jesus, to be found by Jesus, to know Jesus. Rachel Held Evans, the late author, she said it this way. She said, the church is not a group of people who believe all the same things. The church is a group of people caught up in the same story. 
with Jesus at the center. The church is a group of people caught up in the same story with Jesus at the center. Our focus today, as we talk about, as we continue in this series on being a Jesus church, our focus is, so what does the Jesus church do? What is the Jesus church who puts Jesus at the center? What do we do? Not out of guilt, not out of duty, not out of religious striving, not out of self-righteousness or pride. We're the church, we're the others, not an us, not a them. But out of the beauty and worthiness that we find in Jesus. What does the Jesus church do? That's what I want to talk about. And I want to suggest that what we want to do, now there's probably a lot of things, but what, what I want to focus on is two things. What we want to do is we want to, one, we want to be with Jesus. And two, we want to do what Jesus would do. We want to be with Jesus, and we want to do what Jesus would, would do. And these two things are not, can't be separated. And it's not really an order. I put it in an order, a one and a two. But really, um, you know, we want to be with Jesus, to know Jesus, to know what Jesus would do. And if we could do what Jesus is doing, we will have to be with Jesus, and we'll have to know Jesus. The author, Dallas Willard, and the great thinker, Dallas Willard, said that to put Jesus at the center, to be with him, to follow him, as the scripture says, to be a disciple of Jesus, or as Dallas Willard would say, to be an apprentice of Jesus, he says, is to enter the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. <laughs> to enter the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. How would Jesus run a company? How would Jesus parent a child? How would Jesus care for an aging parent? How would Jesus respond to the responsibility of inventing the thing that you're inventing? Right? How would Jesus sell real estate? How would Jesus teach kindergarten? Multiple times in the Bible, in the New Testament, we are invited to imitate Jesus, to look like Jesus. But I love where Dallas Willard takes that because sometimes we can hear that I need to do what Jesus would do and we think, well, but I'm nothing like Jesus and I wouldn't do it that way. And, and what Jesus is trying to do is not make cookie cutter uh, Christians, everyone doing exactly the same thing. What Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to do what he would do if he were us, if he were a mom or a dad, a CEO, a friend, a neighbor. And we see Jesus giving us, I think, a hint to what this could look like. Because repeatedly we hear Jesus saying, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. 
And so I conjecture that in those times when we see Jesus going off to pray, and in the New Testament, often Jesus went off to pray. I imagine that one of the prayers that he prayed was, Father, what do you want me to do? Not everybody else, but what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? And I think we, as a Jesus church, as Jesus people, because there's no separating, you know, right? You see, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, see all the people. There is no separation of Jesus people and Jesus church. To be a Jesus person is to be a part of Jesus's church. And to be in Jesus's church is to be a Jesus person, whether wherever you are on that journey. But I think as a Jesus church, Menlo church, we want to pray a similar prayer. Jesus, what would you do if you were me? And Jesus, how would you have this church, this church in Saratoga, in San Jose, in Mountain View, in South City, in San Mateo, in Menlo Park, how would you have this church live and act, what would you have us do in our neighborhoods, in our spaces? And I want to suggest to you that if we're going to do what Jesus would do, we do have to be with Jesus. We have to get to know him. And not just, here's the temptation for me, is that when I want to know Jesus, my temptation is to want to know a Jesus of my own imagination, right? I kind of want to, like Mr. Potato Head Jesus, like I pick Jesus's arms and legs and nose and how Jesus would be. I want the Jesus that is comfortable for me. But as a Jesus church, we want to know the Jesus who has existed for all eternity, but who also stepped into time and space. The Jesus whose biographies are collected in the Bible in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Jesus who was spoken of and written about by Paul and John and Peter and others that we can know. And so we've got some opportunities coming up at Menlo Church for you to get to know Jesus and for you to get to know Jesus and how he intersects with how you live and what you do and what I do. One of the things that we're offering in the, this fall is called labs. They are going to be fun. They're going to be interactive. They're not lectures, but they're gatherings for us to know Jesus. And if you're at one of our campuses, we have brochures that list every single lab at every single campus. You can participate in any of them from other campuses, your campus, whatever. If you're online, we've got a, a list of online labs as well. We've got a web page that you can go to. And these labs, let me, some of the labs, I'm leading a lab. Uh, so if three or four of you come, that would be awesome. It's going to be on reading and meditating and studying scripture. We've got a number of labs about studying the Bible so that we can know 
the real Jesus, not just the Jesus of our imaginations. Uh, we've got labs on parenting. Uh, we've got labs on faith and work. How does our faith and our followership of Jesus intersect with work? We've got 28 labs, so I'm not going to be able to mention all of them. Uh, we have one that's going to be on C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. I love that. One on resilience. Um, gosh, uh, one on, on uh, generosity and stewardship. Uh, We've got all kinds of labs, and I want to encourage you. Jump into those this fall. They'll start the week of September 20th. Another way that we can gather to know Jesus is in this gathering. To show up and to be reminded. Sometimes we just need a reminder in our week that there is a God, and he sees us, and he knows us that we can worship him in song and we can worship him in our interactions with others and we can worship him in the hearing of his word and applying that into our lives. These gatherings on Sunday morning matter. We can also get to know him through life groups. We have those at Menlo Church all the time, groups of people opening the scripture together, praying for one another, doing life together. We get to know him by prayer and entering in each day. Maybe it's as, as you go, as you're driving to work, as you're walking your neighborhood, you're having a conversation with the God who is there and you're seeking to listen to his voice through his word by his spirit. You see, to be a Jesus church, we have to be with Jesus. And we want to do what he would do if he were us. And Menlo Church, I want to commend you. This church, for almost 150 years, you have been putting Jesus at the center. Not perfectly. There's been bumps. There's been all the things. We're made up of people, messy people. But you have continued to put Jesus at the center, seeking to do what Jesus would do. And you've done that, and you've been doing that, and you're doing that because you're the people who show up at the hospital. You're the people who bring the casserole. You're the people who pray. You're the people who last weekend, a ton of you brought bins and blankets and duffel bags to serve those who've been impacted by the fires in our state. You know, and I could list so many things, but one thing that I was thinking about was, you probably know this, but maybe if you don't, did you know Menlo Church has a ministry uh, for kids who are not typical, right? Because we want to make a space for every family to be able to come and be with us on a Sunday morning. And we want non-typical kids to be able to participate. And so we have a buddy program, and some of you are those buddies who make it possible for a non-typical kid to participate in our kids' ministry. And one thing that has struck me this week, even as I've been praying for Afghanistan and for Haiti and for Louisiana and the impact of this global pandemic, it struck me that, you know, obviously, and you guys know this, obviously Menlo is not the only Jesus church. (laughs) There are thousands, probably I don't know, a million Jesus churches all around the world. 
And what's beautiful is that in Afghanistan, there are Afghans who are Jesus people. We don't just send aid to Afghanistan, although we do, but we pray for and we're encouraged by boots on the ground, followers of Christ who live in those places, who live in Louisiana, who live in Haiti, who are serving their communities, who are doing what Jesus would do for his neighbor, for their neighbor, right? And I want to say this, as a Jesus church, as a church that puts Jesus at the center, Menlo, we got to be really careful because the temptation is to then make Jesus our product. And Jesus is not our product. We do not sell Jesus. We don't sell anything here at Menlo Church. Jesus is our God, our Savior, our King, our Lord, our friend, our counselor, the object of our worship. We do not compare ourselves or compete with other churches. We focus our attention on Jesus and his way for us. Our success is not determined by our size. Our success is determined by our Savior. We do not use Jesus to feel cool or to feel whatever. We don't use Jesus to fill a room. We fill a room to worship Jesus. When you came in this morning, you received a little card with some scripture on it. Um, If you're with us online, that scripture will be on the screen or you can turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. And this is where I want to end our time. I want us to meditate together a little bit on this passage in Colossians 1. And before we dive into it, I need to set it up a little bit. This passage was written by Paul. Paul was not always a Jesus person. (laughs) Paul actually says in another letter that he wrote, the letter to the Philippians, he said that where he got his identity what he counted gain, where he thought he was scoring points originally was in his family pedigree, in his education. He was super religious and he felt like he was winning points in his religiosity. And then he had an encounter with Jesus. And Paul said, I no longer count those things gain. I actually consider them loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. And so Jesus changed and transformed Paul's life. And one of the things he did was he helped churches become Jesus churches. He helped churches put the focus on Jesus because these early churches there was all kinds of false teaching. There were all kinds of people saying, the church should do this and the church should not do that. And the church, and so this was happening in Colossae. And Paul wrote these folks a letter and he said, well, actually, this is what the church should be focusing on. This is the Jesus that we focus on. 
And these are his words. Your, your little card starts in verse 15, but I'm actually going to start, give us a little context just a little bit above that. Paul wrote this in verse 13. He says, For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is telling this church in Colossae, this is our good news. We've been rescued. We've been brought out of darkness and we've been brought into a new kingdom. This is the gospel. The good news of Jesus is that he brings us into his kingdom. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Wherever Jesus rules and reigns is his kingdom. And guess what? He rules and reigns everywhere, whether you see it or not. And then in verse 15, which you have on your card, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know God, look at Jesus. Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus for Jesus. I want to pause there for just a minute for us to consider what does it mean to be made by Jesus and for Jesus? Verse 17, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Are you falling apart? I've felt like that a number of times in the past year and a half. And I have come back to this word. In Jesus, all things hold together even broken things, even anxious things. In Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's our leader. He's our guide. We are only a Jesus church because Jesus is the head of our church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, Jesus might have the supremacy. And in the original language of this, Paul is playing on this word for head, just like in English, that word can mean a lot of different things. And he's playing on it because he's wanting to drive home. He's used that word throughout this passage. He's wanting to drive home this meaning that Jesus is the source, 
Jesus is supreme. Jesus is over all things. Verse 19, for God was well pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The way of Jesus is the way of peace. Don't you want to be with him? Don't you want to do what he would do if he was you? And now I just, on the other side of your card, is this same passage in the message version. And I'll just end with this. It's so good. Kind of shakes up this passage of scripture for us. Sometimes I like to do that, read passages in different versions. And in this version, this translation by Eugene Peterson, he has Paul saying this, we look at, his, at this son, we look at Jesus and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this Jesus and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, Everything got started in Jesus and finds its purpose in Jesus. Jesus was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. Jesus was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is Jesus, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people, me, you, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of Jesus's death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Oh, Jesus, we just say thank you. We say thank you. Thank you for being the head of this church. Thank you for going before us and coming behind us. Thank you for making us your people, Jesus' people, in a Jesus church, stumbling along, following you as we can, for your glory and our good, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.